happened again. Hey, good one there. Hey, as you're grabbing your seats, go ahead and grab your Bibles as well. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew to start this morning, the book of Matthew. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles on the chairs there in front of you or right underneath you. And uh, if you're using that Bible, you're going to page 1098. 1098. Matthew, and you're going to Matthew chapter 6, by the way. Matthew chapter 6. So we're going to wrap up our, our three-week series that we've been in for the last couple weeks here. And uh, the series is called Entrusted. And the whole idea behind this series is that God has entrusted us with all that we have. And then we are responsible for the things, how we use the things that God has entrusted to us. And so the first week, the very first week, what we talked about was we don't want to let what we have shape us. We want to let God shape how we use what we have. And I've thrown out a definition for you from a guy named Chris Brown at stewardshipcentral.org. And he has a ministry uh, at that website there. So you can find lots of good resources, lots of good articles. But he has this great definition of stewardship. Because remember, we've been talking about a steward is someone who has been entrusted with something uh, that, that's not his. And he's uh, entrusted with it to manage it. And a lot of times that's used of a, a, maybe a servant in a household uh, when we're looking at it in the Bible and the, the servant is entrusted with household responsibilities or the master goes away and entrusts him with stuff. But the definition was this. Stewardship is managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. Managing God's blessings. So we're acknowledging that what we have is from him, God's way. And so then we're submitting the way that we use those things according to how God would have us use them for God's glory. And so we're, our focus is that God would be glorified. God would be blessed, as Jeff talked about. God would, would be the one who gets the focus and the attention because of how we use those things. So managing God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory. So we looked at uh, that, that whole general concept the first week. Last week we looked at uh, that God has entrusted men of character to uh, shepherd His church, or to feed and lead His church is the way I said it a few times, and so we talked about the role of elders and church leadership and how God has entrusted that care. And this week we're going to wrap it up with money. With money. But but don't worry, because it's not going to be what you, you might be thinking. If you've been exposed to some bad sermons on money, where after the, the sermon the, the pastor then tries to guilt you into giving, I just want you to take note, we already took up the offering. Okay? And it's not coming back around again this morning. Those guys are all seated. There's no plan for them to get back up. And so at the end of this, the goal is not to guilt you into somehow giving more. And what you're going to find this morning is, as we talk about money, we're not really talking about money as the main focus, but money is, a, is in a lot of ways, a secondary thing. You see, what we're talking about this morning is a battle for your heart. Because what's at stake this morning is what we're going to see is our heart is at stake this morning. When we talk about money, it's not, God doesn't need our money. It's, it's not about that. He wants our heart. And our heart is at stake. And it's tied to how we use our money. And so this morning what we're going to see is this. Where you save determines who you serve. And when I say where you save, it'll make sense here in just a moment. I'm not talking about which bank and how you invest your money in, 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 in certain uh, you know, stocks, bonds, or, or certain aspects of the market. I'm not talking about that. It's a location, yes. But is it physical or is it spiritual? Where you save determines who you serve. So Matthew chapter 6, 
And to help us kind of understand what Jesus is going to be talking about this morning, we're going to have three questions along the way. I'm going to use three questions to kind of help break apart the verses we're going to look at and kind of guide what, uh, help us understand what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. So where you save determines who you serve. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. If you've grown up around the church, you've heard this before, uh, hopefully this morning you won't, your ears won't be blocked from hearing it anew and afresh. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. So here we go. First question. What do you value? What do you value? So let's take a look at the first few verses. Jesus says this. He's, he's talking to uh, some of his disciples and people who are following him. He says, do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth. Okay, remember, where you say, clue into the locations here. Do not accumulate for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven, location, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where, and location, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so let's start with just these, these few verses. What do you value is the question. And that's what Jesus is getting at. So he starts out and he says, hey, as he's trying to talk about um, uh, some, a lot of different things. This is falling in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, has a lot of, a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of memorable stuff in there. But here's the, here's the summary of, of the Sermon on the Mount. How do you live as a follower of Jesus between now and when the kingdom comes? What is it, what is it supposed to look like for a follower of Jesus to live now while we're waiting for the kingdom to come? And so he's got several different things he addresses. And when he comes to this point here in Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about what are you going to do with what you value and, and, and what are you going to pursue in life. So he says, hey, don't accumulate treasures on earth. That's where he starts. Don't, don't try to focus all your attention. Don't, don't value more than anything else amassing and accumulating or storing up treasures on earth. What is he talking about? He's talking about money. And he's also talking about physical possessions, our property, our assets, things like that. No, he says, hey, don't make your focus about what you can save here. But he's not going to tell us not to save. Hey, this is not a, a glorifying poverty sermon either. I'm not, I'm not telling you this morning, go out from here and sell everything you have except for what you need. That's not what I'm saying either, because that's not what, what, what Jesus says. That's not what the biblical authors teach us. It's about the focus. So he says, hey, when, you, when you're storing things up, when you're accumulating things, don't make your focus what you can get here, which is what most of us tend to focus on. How much can I save up here so that I can get this, so that I can make that, so I can pass this thing on, or so I can be known for this, you know, and, and some of that stuff is not bad. I mean, you can find in the Bible where there's wisdom in saving up. There's wisdom in not borrowing money. There's wisdom in, uh, I'm sorry, go back, not borrowing money. By that I mean like not being the Bible would say not being uh, a surety, not, not being able to not pay back what you borrow, right? Um, not, not, um, there's wisdom in saving up so you can pass things on to your kids. There's wisdom in those kind of things. So the Bible, the Bible is going to tell us that, hey, with, with what you have here, save it up in a wise way, and then, yes, use it in wise ways. Jesus is not saying, hey, go sell every extra pair of clothes you have and just keep one. Or, or go and sell, you know, all these things that you enjoy and just keep one. That's not really what he's going after here. He's going after something much deeper, something much bigger. And he says, if, if your focus is just what I can save here, uh, once I get to this point, 
Then I'm set. If I can only get to this point, then I'm good. If, if that's all your focus is, if I can just get here, then I'm successful. He says, look, here on earth, all the things you save up here on earth, the money, the possessions, the assets. And he uses this description. He says, it's there that moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So he's using some very specific examples. Hey, if you're saving up clothes and that and that uh, time time uh, frame they would save up, you know, clothes would, would be a, 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 a signature of your wealth. How many, how many tunics do I have? How many robes do I have? He says, hey, if you're trying to amass clothing, those things can get eaten by moths. Right? I mean, those things, you know, it, it just takes one moth to get in there and start eating it, and it's destroyed. Hey, if you're saving up things that, that, that are prone to rust or other kinds of breakdown, the word used for rust is not just the corrosion of metallic things, but other kinds of breakdown. He says, look, things that are physical, they break down. They, they don't last. He says, so if your focus is accumulating things here on earth, those things could be destroyed. You need to keep that in mind. They're, they're not permanent. And then he says, and furthermore, people can break in your home and steal those things. Maybe you've experienced that. You, you finally got something or you, you had something that you really put some value on and Man, someone stole that from you. I've been there. I've been there a couple times. Even here. And it wasn't even high value stuff. I got some, some wireless headphones, you know, for the gym and stuff. And then I, and I leave those in the car, keep them charged, and that way they're always there. And then I always have loose change. Again, not, not a high value amount, just loose change in their quarters and stuff like that. You know, pennies, not necessarily the quarters and dimes and nickels. So twice now. Twice now, over the last four years that I've been here, I've had my car broken into right in my, my driveway. And you know what they stole both times? All my loose change and my headphones. Right? Not a high-value item. I mean, I, I clearly understand. I can get more of that stuff. Easy. But people break in and steal, just like that. What if I had left something high-value? What if they had broken in my home? Jesus' point is, hey... Those things that we, we tend to save up and we try to amass and accumulate that are physical and they're for here on earth, they stay here and they're not permanent. He says, so don't give all of your heart, all of your attention, all of your devotion to those things. Don't, don't focus so much on what can I save up here, location. He says instead, verse 20, accumulate for yourself treasures in heaven, things that will last. He says, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So his point here is about where you are focusing on saving. Am I, am I accumulating things so that it can be a benefit to me here, and is that my only focus? Or he says, the things that you have here, the things that you accumulate here, how are you using it? What are you saving it for? Are you using it in a way that's going to actually store up for you treasures that will be there for you later? Because, you know, the way we use what God entrusts to us doesn't just impact us here. It impacts us when we get to him. Right? So if I have these things and, and I accumulate these things, again, Jesus is not saying it's bad to be wealthy, it's bad to be rich. Nope. In fact, I've got a fantastic verse I'm going to show you in a minute. But he's saying, hey, when you accumulate things, if your focus is just for here, for now, you're missing it. It's like you need to save and you need to accumulate things and you need to use them in a way that store up treasures for you later. That same treasure should be later. We're going to break that apart, but here's what follows, verse 21. Why does he say that? He says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And look at the order. It's where your treasure is, where your money goes, that your heart follows. See, you and I, we might think, man, if someone has a, a heart that loves the Lord, if, a, if their heart is surrendered to the Lord, then their money's going to follow that. But Jesus says the reverse. 
He says, where your dollars go, there's your devotion. Your devotion will follow your dollars. Your, your heart will follow your treasure. He says, that's why location is important. If you're accumulating and you're investing all for here, now, your heart will only be here and focused on the now. But if you accumulate and you save up for what's future, then your heart is not tied to just here. It's actually tied to where your true citizenship is. Your home is with the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's the order. Because what happens is we get enslaved to money, don't we? I mean, of all the things that we get enslaved to, money is the thing that enslaves our heart the most. It's one of the things that we pursue the most, and it's important. I mean, you, you've got to have it to operate in the, our economy, and our world. And, I mean, it is an important thing, but we get so tied into uh, pursuing this much, that much, this much, or if I could just accumulate and save up this much, if I can just get my net worth to be this much, then I will be successful. And we drive ourselves toward that, and our hearts get tied to that. And then Jesus said, hey, and the way you use your money, remember stewardship is managing God's blessing, God's way, for God's glory. When you use your money your way, for your glory, then your heart is on you. And God's in this, not for your money, He's in this for your heart. And Jesus said, it's about your location. Because where you save will determine who you serve. Okay, so the first question is, what do you value? What are you placing value on in this life? Property, possessions, money. Because what you place your value on will determine who you worship or what you worship. Your heart will follow that. Let's go on and, and look at our second question. Though. The second question is, are you generous? Are you generous? And these verses here, 22 and 23, are a little hard. See, as you're reading through these, these verses, 19, 20, 21, you're going, okay, I think I get that. And then if you were to jump to 24, you're going, that, that kind of makes sense. But you read 22 and 23, you go, where does that fit in? Like, I don't get that. And, and people have struggled with this for years. I mean, if you're reading through people who have studied these verses, there's all kinds of different views on trying to understand this. It is hard. It's hard. So let's see if we can make some sense out of it. Verse 22, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If then your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Okay, so depending on your translation, that, that section I have in red, if your eye is diseased, you may have bad or evil. Okay, or, or maybe yours goes and, and tries to capture the concept behind it, and so it says something, something completely different. But if your eye is bad, like, what does that mean? I mean, we can follow the physical, okay, my eye, okay, I get the science behind it, the light comes in my eye. I mean, okay, was, was that what Jesus means? Maybe, but, you know, scientifically, they may not have understood all that stuff that we then impose on it now. So, I don't know. Right? Uh, if the eye is the lamp of the body, okay, maybe he's talking about what I set my eyes on, what what I'm consumed with. Possibly, that's, that's one, of, one of the better ones, I think. But, but here's what I want to do. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, if it's evil, there's something about that phrase. If I can understand that phrase, if you can understand more about that phrase, maybe we have a better idea of what Jesus means. And so the way that I would go about trying to understand a phrase, I'm going to look, is there anywhere first that Matthew 
Is there anywhere first that Matthew uses that same phrase or a similar phrase in that gospel, in that particular book? And that's what you do if you're trying to understand how an author uses a word, by the way. I'm going to look first at how does that author use that same word somewhere else in that book. And then I would expand it like a concentric circle, right? And I'd say, okay, did that author write anything else? And if he wrote anything else, does he use it in any of those other places? So I can understand how does he use that particular phrase. And then I would go broader than that, and I would go New Testament. Then I would go full Bible. Well, just so happens that Matthew uses this phrase in one other spot. If you want to flip over a couple chapters, Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, or page 11, 16, if you're using the Bibles there. Um, we're going to look at that one verse, but let me summarize what's going on here, because Jesus is telling a story. And he's telling a story about this guy, this landowner, who had this land that needed to be worked. And, and as he's, he started to hire people to help him work that land, and he hires them in three phases, right? He hires some early morning, and he works on an agreement with them. I will pay you this much for your day's work. And they start work bright and early in the morning. And then along the way, maybe around lunchtime or so, he decides, I'm going to hire a few more guys. I want, I want to get this done. And so he makes an agreement with them. Hey, I will pay you this much if you will work the rest of the day for me on my land. And then he hires one more set later in the afternoon, and he makes an agreement with those, those people as well. Hey, I will pay you this much if you will work on my land for the rest of the day. Now, the, the amount he's going to pay each of those groups happens to be the same amount. So we get to the end of the parable, and he's paying out all these people the same amount. And as you and I can imagine, you know, once you start to know what other people make, you start to go, well, that's not fair. I've done this, and I only did this, and that's what's happening. So there's this disagreement where the guys who were hired earlier in the day who are getting paid a certain amount are complaining and griping. You can't pay them the same amount. And the owner's trying to explain, what is it to you? You agreed with what I said I was going to pay you. And he says this in Matthew 20, verse 15. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now, that's an unfortunate translation, but, I mean, translators, what they do is they're trying to help us understand what's being said and, and understand it in our context and in our language. But what we miss is what, what the phrase is, actually says in, in the Greek there is, or is your eye bad, evil, because I'm good. Same phrase as we find in, in, in Matthew chapter 6. If your eye is bad, he says in Matthew chapter 6, or if your eye is evil, depending on your translation. Ours says if your eye is diseased. Same, same phrase. Or is your eye bad, he says, or, or evil, depending on how you want to translate that, because I'm good. And so as we kind of consider that context and how, how Matthew is, is, is using it in that particular context, we start to understand and get shaped a little more. What is a bad eye? Well, a bad eye is one that uh, one is blind to the generosity of God. Because the, 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 the landowner in this parable is God, who owns all things. He's entitled to do whatever he wants with what belongs to him. And so the idea behind that is, hey, if God wants to save someone late in their life who has committed some atrocities that you and I maybe don't think we could ever forgive, but God could, who are we to say God should show them grace or not? Right? It's that idea like, hey, uh, God, I've lived my whole life for you. And, and, and God, I've, I've not even seen the type of blessings that this person has seen, and they're wicked and they're evil their whole life, and now on their deathbed they call on you? And you're going to save them? That's not fair. See, that's the idea behind this parable. And God's saying, what's it to you? It's my grace. I'm entitled to give it to whoever and however I want. 
See, a bad eye is one that is blind to God's grace and blind to God's generosity because it's consumed with self. It's consumed with envy. And so it's not going to be focused on what's good. So a bad eye, and we go back then, and we look at these verses here. If your eye is diseased or bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if you're focused on yourself, if you're blind to God's grace and to God's generosity, that's being called darkness. That's not light. The good eye then, of course, would be, hey, I, I can see God's grace at work. I can see God's generosity. I can focus on what's good for others and not be so consumed with what I want, what I, what I think I need. He says, if your eye is good, your whole body is going to be good. In other words, everything's going to follow. If I, if I know God's grace, if I know God's generosity, and I can see it, then my body, my actions, that's going to follow. But if my eye is bad, I'm blind to God's grace. I'm blind to God's generosity. I, I'm focused and consumed with myself. I need to get what I want. I need to get what's mine. I need more. He shouldn't just get more. He shouldn't get more. I get more. If your eye is bad, he says, then your whole body's going to fall. What's the mentality of someone who's selfish? Someone who, who's consumed with, I've got to get more. I've got to get more. It's tight hands, closed hands. It's hoarding. I've got to just get more. And more is never enough. I read an article a couple of weeks ago as I was prepping for this one, this sermon here, and, and it was uh, a guy who was working on Wall Street, about two or three year old article now, and uh, he got into Wall Street real young, broke in in his young 20s, and uh, started making significant amounts of money. As I'm reading through this article, he's talking about, you know, six million dollar bonuses, right, on top of what they're, they're getting regularly. He, and he's just talking, that's a regular thing for so many of these guys he was working around. And he says, I quit Wall Street when they offered me a $1.3 million bonus because it wasn't enough. I deserved more, he said, or I thought. A $1.3 million bonus. That's on top of what he was already making. And he says, that's not enough. And he goes on to explain. He says, because I'm sitting right there next to these guys, and I can hear them making their making their deals and their sales. And this guy next to me, he made a, a $2 million deal. And then the co- competition just rises. Well, I only made a $1 million deal. I only made $1 million off that last one. He made $2 million. And he says, and it doesn't matter that that money is more than anyone can do, do, uh, do, do anything with. He says, it's just all about, I don't have what he has. $1.3 million bonus, he walks out. Not enough money. Now, since then, his life has changed. He's not a believer, I don't think, but he has an organization, a nonprofit that's designed to help people on Wall Street. But if, if your eye is bad, if it's consumer self, everything else follows. It's never going to be enough. You're not going to know contentment. You're not going to know joy. You're never going to be content with what you have. He said, if the light in you is dark, it's how dark it is. So the question is, are you generous? Are you generous? Is your eye good? Or are you more consumed with what you don't have and what they have in store? Are you generous? Look at this verse. I love it. I love it. Some of you, this is going to absolutely revolutionize the way you see God and His view of money. Because many of you probably are thinking, God doesn't want me to be wealthy. God doesn't want me to enjoy things. God doesn't want me to, to, to have the things that I want. God just wants all my money. And I'm not giving to it. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. This is Paul, page 1340, if you're using the chair Bible here. This is Paul, the apostle. Here's what he says about money. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this world's goods 
not to be haughty, prideful, arrogant, or to set their hope on riches. Okay, that's, that's key. Don't set your hope on what you have, which are uncertain. But instead, you're to set your hope on God, who richly provides us with all things, look at it, for our enjoyment. Did you know God is interested in us enjoying what we have? He provides us all things for our enjoyment. But God never wants us to place our trust in what we have. He says, so Paul's saying, if you have things, if you're rich in this world, and by the way, most of you in this room would be considered rich in this world, okay? If you have things, don't set your hope on those things. Don't accumulate money here on earth so that you can set your hope on those things. If I get to this point, then I will be successful. Then I will be comfortable, secure. But instead, set your hope on God. See, it's about the heart. God, then it's not for your money, then it's for your heart. And he says, because God is the one who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. He doesn't have to provide us with what he uh, uh, provides us with. He could just continue, just like he did with Israel, give us that manna that was tasteless, but it's sustained, right? I mean, he doesn't have to give us all the decadent food that we, so many of us get to choose. I mean, I, I love it. We sit down, most of us, every meal, and we actually get to choose what we want to eat. Or we get to say, no, I don't want that today, I want this today. But many of you have been to countries or been in contact with people who they're not sure they're even going to get a meal that day. Or maybe they might get one meal that day. And you know they're not going to say, I'm sorry, I don't want beans and rice again. No. God richly provides. We are more than abundantly provided for. But on God who richly provides for our enjoyment, what a good God. Man, what a good God. Verse 18. He says, instead, tell them to do good. Remember the the question we're asking? Are you generous? He says, tell them to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, sharing with others. In this way, look at the location, they will save up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the future. Same thing that he's talking about in Matthew. It's like almost like Paul knew about what Jesus had taught in Matthew. And so lay a hold of what is truly life. What's truly life is not here. The question is, are you generous? Last question. As we wrap this up, who are you serving? Who are you serving? Verse 24. Jesus' conclusion there. No one can serve two masters. This is not a comparison of employment. I can carry two jobs. No, no. Jesus says this is like a servant and his master. If you belong to a master, you are, you are fully devoted to that master. You won't split. He says no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's about the heart. See, because where your dollars go, that's where your devotion will be. Where you save, now, now hopefully you're seeing the where part of where you save. It's not about accumulating wealth here. It's not about accumulating things here about storing up treasures in heaven. So you have things here, and yes, it, it, it's good to have those things and to use those things to meet your needs and even for things you enjoy. But if your heart is controlled by those things, your heart is enslaved by those things, then you are focusing on the here, the now, the physical only. For Jesus, there's actually no divide between the physical and the spiritual. And really, there's not a divide. It shouldn't be a divide for us. 
But we like to say, no, no, no. See, this is how I use my money. It's physical. But I'm here on Sundays and I worship. But Jesus says, no, no, you can't separate those two. You see, because how you use your money will show who you worship or what you worship. What you believe about where you will spend eternity will be reflected in the way you manage your money. Then the two are so tied together, Jesus says, that you cannot serve God and money. Because if you serve money, you'll hate God. Maybe you'll give him lip service, but he won't have your heart. But if your dollars go toward God, if your possessions go to God, that means I'm not holding tightly to them, I'm loosely holding on to them. He says, then your heart's going to follow that. Because where you say it determines who you serve. And if Jeff, if you want to come on out, get ready out here. Um, so I was having a conversation yesterday with my eight-year-old daughter. We were driving out here to the church. And uh, we're talking about the Super Bowl after lunch, club, club. Um, and she she uh, just had a birthday, and we gave her some money for a birthday in lieu of a party. And uh, she's already had decided that I'm, I'm spending my money on these things. And just by the way, um, she, she chose to spend some things on her, and she chose to spend some things on her sister. It was, it was beautiful. Like, I mean, we're watching her grow as she manages his money. But yesterday, we were talking about that, and she has $11 left from the amount we gave her. And she says, Dad, can I... Can I use that $11 for the Super Bowl, or, or should I give it to, to church and offer it? And I said, this is beautiful. This is great. So we started to talk as we drive down here about how, um, you know, how mom and dad do it. And I explained to her, you know, every paycheck, whether I get it from here or the airport or whatever, we have already decided we're going to be setting aside stuff first. And that amount, before we figure out everything else, we decide that amount we're going to give to the church. And I explained that to her, you know, obviously on a eight-year-old level. And I explained that that's something we do before we allot any of the rest of our money. Before we budget anything else, we've already decided we're going to do this much here and this much here. And I said, and then, and then after we, we do all that, if other things come up, like the Super Bowl, or, or there's another need or something, or we're placed an opportunity where we, we can bless others, I said, then we do that on top of what we've already decided to give to the church. And so then I said, so, Karis, you asked me, which should you do? And so I said, you should then give first to the church, to your church. And then you can give to the Super Bowl if you have anything else. So because that, that, that's the, the way that we, we should give is first to the church and, and then to anything extra. And she says, okay, I have $11. With that, could I do, could I get seven in the offering in church and then a four for the Super Bowl? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then she, you know, she goes on and, and this was, you know, so that was that by itself would have just been a, a wonderful, teachable moment. But then she goes on and she says, you know, I'm really excited. I got to, I get to give to, to the church. And, you know, and she, she starts saying some things that indicated that uh, she's proud that she has leftover money and she got to give. So then I said, okay, another teachable moment. It's not about what you have left over. See, that reflects one thing about your heart. And I said, but Paris, did you hear Daddy say that Mom and Dad, before we ever got paid, we decided we're setting aside whatever amount. And then we figure out everything else we want. I said, see, because our heart is first tied to, Lord, you provided this for me. You give me all things. You give me more than I need. And so we give this back, and we trust you with all we have. And that's been her and my, uh, Lindsay uh, in my practice for, for many years, and then we just were able to merge that really well when we got married. And, and so I explained to her, it's about doing it first. 
because that says, I trust you. And then I said, but if you, if you do it afterwards, and you say, well, I have some leftover money, then I'll give it to the Lord. See, that tells you where your heart is too. And yeah, it's good that you're going to give to the Lord, but which is better? When I worked at Olive Garden a few years ago, and I was just living on cash, envelope system, whatever I made that week, you know, and I knew what I needed. But once I got my cash for the week, I would look at what I had, and I'd say, okay, this much. I set it aside for the week. I set it aside on the And then whatever I had left, I would manage. Some of you this morning, as we talk about where you save and come to you serve, maybe for you this morning, maybe your, your thing has been, I don't have any money to give. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm barely making ends meet. And, and, and so often we'll tell ourselves, God will understand. And we comfort ourselves, we kind of ease some guilt. God will understand. But yet Jesus tells other parables where he holds up people who gave, even though they, quote, didn't have enough to give. You see, because their, their heart was, God, you first, because I'm trusting you. So the widow and her two mites, Matthew and Mark, they tell this parable. Jesus is watching, and that's not a parable, it's actually story, sorry. Jesus is watching, and all these people are bringing in, and they're just claiming in all their food. And this widow comes and steps two mites, and she puts it, puts it in, and he says, yeah, see, that's that right there, that's the one. Because all those other people, they were given, it was comfortable. They were given out of their surplus, but they had nothing to do. He said, but her, she gave from what she had to give. She didn't go to buy groceries. She didn't do a favor. But her heart was so tied to the Lord. She was so consumed with where, and the where was not here. And she says, God, I'm giving that to you first. I trust you. And I'm so thankful that you can. Some of you this morning, maybe it's a it's a switch in your belief. Because maybe, maybe your heart is so tied to here and now that you're not trusting the Lord in the way He wants you to grow you. It's not about your money, it's about your heart. He wants your heart. And if, and if you think, you say, God will understand, you know, and, and he'll, he'll, you know, he knows I don't have enough. No, no, no. That's not biblical. And I'm guilty. I've said that. But when I look at all these other places where Jesus says, she gave out of, out of what she had to live on, that tells me, no, God wants my heart first. And let him work out the rest. So that means I can't go around saying, God, you'll understand this week. My heart has to be there for God. This is what I have. This is what I know. And I can trust you. And I'm looking to you to make up the rest. That's the heart God wants. Some of you, maybe it's that switch. But, and and for, for others of you, maybe maybe it's a matter of saying, hey, I need to set that aside first. I need to set my, my money aside. I don't have as much as so-and-so. I know that doesn't matter. I, you need to pray about it. God, what do you want me to give? And, and you know, it's questions where we, we start to ask, well, you know, how much do I have to give? That's the wrong question. Or, or you know what, the, the tithe, 10%, that's Old Testament stuff. I don't need to give that. I mean, we really don't. Those questions miss the point. See, what we need to be asking instead is, God, how much should I keep? How much do you want me to give? Maybe it's 10, maybe it's less, maybe it's more. Where's your heart behind it? Because where your dollars go, your heart's going to go as well. And you know, when you understand that God has given you everything you have, when you understand that everything we have is entrusted to us by God, and He richly provides for us, even though you may be looking around going, I don't have, I got one pair of shoes. I got one pair of shoes. Well, I'm not sure I'm going to 
we understand God richly provides. It's not about what you and I think is wrong. Then you can't help but say, God, look at this. And when you understand how generous God is to us, because here's how God's generosity was reflected. It's not just in what he gives us uh, financially or physically. It's what he gave us. But God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were sinners, people who were not seeking God, don't love God, hearts far from God. While we were still like that, spiritually dead people, while we were still like that, that's when God sent Jesus to die for us. He gave, for God so loved the world, the, the, the John 3.16 says that he gave his own. The, the giving was, a, was an outflow of his love. God loved and so he gave his only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When you understand what the penalty uh, for us was, the, for us being under God's wrath uh, because of our sin, and, and, and Paul says, look, the wages, what you earn because of sin is death. But then when Paul goes on and says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. When you understand that God has so richly blessed us, blessed you, you can't help but say, God, what can I give? And when you start to give, it's almost, it, it's addictive. Because you say, God, give me another opportunity. Give me some more money so I can have another opportunity to do that. Because you know what happens? Generosity breeds contentment. Generosity breeds contentment. You want to be content with what you have? Start giving away more. You want to be content with, with what God has, but you, you can't because you're just holding on so tight to it? Stop holding on so tight to it. It's enslaved you. Your heart is not with God. So let go. So for some of you this morning, man, it, 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 you're not going to understand that until you understand how great God has given and how generous He was when He sent Christ to die for your sins and my sins. And for others of you, maybe you've trusted in that, but man, you're still kind of like a, a, a tight holder here, you know? Maybe you need to get back to the cross. See, the gospel is not just something we trust in one time and move on. Every day, preach it to yourselves. While I was a sinner, Christ died. While I was unlovely, Christ died to make me lovely. While I was not pursuing God, God pursued me. And I didn't deserve it. And I don't deserve it today. And the closer we stay, the tighter we cling to the cross, the looser we'll hold on to everything else that wants to compete for our hearts. Because where we sit will determine who we serve. So Jeff's going to sing a, a chorus over us. And, and for some of you this morning, maybe that's a God, a prayer needs to say, God, I, show me how to give differently in my life. Show me if I'm enslaved. Help me to see that by my things, by my money. God, set me free from that enslavement. And for some of you, man, that enslavement is just one of maybe many. And it runs a lot deeper because you've not been set free from the grip of sin. And so this morning, that's an opportunity for you this morning too. So maybe that, that for you is considering what God has done through Christ how generous he was to you when he sent Christ. And instead of clinging to, if I can just get this much, if I can just save up that much, or if I can reach this point, maybe instead you've got to put that aside, leave it, abandon it, and say, God, even if I never have it, and you trust in Christ, and what he's done, and how rich God makes you in Christ. Because it's then when you place all your trust in Christ for your forgiveness and your sins, but God says, now you're my son, now you're my daughter. Guess what that makes you? son or a daughter of the king. The one 
who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The one who, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything is there. You become his child. And then at your possession is everything he owns. And he says, it's mine. Who are you to decide how I deal with it? Father knows your needs. So some of you this morning, maybe that's what you want to do. And if you have a bulletin on the back, there's a great prayer you can read to express that belief. But wherever you are this morning, let's take a moment to reflect on God, like a flood, your mercy reigns. Wash over us. Knock us down with your grace. Because, God, if we can stand before you as we consider your grace, we don't understand it. We don't fully grasp it. And so, God, knock us down so that we don't think we earned it. So we don't think that we deserve it. But instead, we know you freely gave it impoverished people, spiritually dead people, people who we don't have anything to offer to you. Everything is yours. Consume us with your grace. Consume us with your love. And God, if there's something holding our heart this morning that's not you, set us free. Let us put it to death and instead set our minds on things that are above where Christ is seated in the heavenly places. Because we are joined with Him and our life is hidden with Christ. So God, let us be people who are characterized and whose hearts belong to the Christ is not here on earth. And God, as we do that, we do it for Your glory so that others would know, man, how do you do that? How are you so free? And we're not going to give them some kind of mumbo-jumbo about, well, I bless God and then God give back to me. No, God, instead we're going to say, God just richly gave to me. I can't help but be generous to others. Because the way my Father is is the way I want to be. So God, change us. Change us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And before we dismiss, if, if you would like some prayer this morning, uh, right after the service we'll have a couple people just hanging out back there, uh, being available for you to pray. So if you're in here and you're able to be back there, just make your way right after the service so that you can be available for folks who might want some prayer. Just walk up to them and say, hey, I, I need some prayer. This has got a hold on my life. Or, hey, I need some prayer. This saved my life. Or, hey, I just trusted in Christ. I'd like to pray and talk to someone about it. Um, they, they'll be glad to pray with you back there and walk you through uh, whatever whatever you, you bring out there. Okay? Uh, if you're visiting this morning right after we dismiss, hang a right out these doors and would love to say hello, shake your hand, maybe answer any questions you might have. And I'll be right down there uh, by the couch along with maybe some other staff as well. And uh, if not, and we'll see you hopefully at the Super Bowl after the second service. So if you're able, please stand and dismiss. Your God was generous to set you free. So don't go on living with chains binding you. Shake them off and go dance freely because your Father loves you. Do that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.